Welcome to Living the Dream with Ben and Rodney. Here's your host, Ben Wilson. Hello and welcome to another episode of Living the Dream with Ben and Rodney. I'm your host, Ben Wilson, and I'm here with a special guest today, Miss Jasmine Ellis. And Jasmine is one of our featured comedians in the upcoming Kentucky Comedy Festival. It's going to be held October 19th through the 21st at Rather Hall at Murray State. And Jasmine is a super funny comedian that I discovered during the pandemic with her Nobody's Queen special on Dry Bar Comedy that has well over a million views. Super, super funny lady. And her debut album, Trash Baby, was number one on iTunes a few years ago. So I am thrilled to have Jasmine as part of our show for that night. She'll be opening on um, the first show, November 19th, with Mark Klein, Eric O'Shea, and Lace Larrabee. I think Lace is one of uh, Jasmine's friends, but that's a super funny group. And we're looking forward to having Jasmine. So please welcome Miss Jasmine Ellis to Live in the Dream with Ben and Rodney. Hi. Hi, Ben. Thanks for having me. Yes, we're excited to have you on the show. Um, Congratulations on the success that you're having right now as a comedian. I loved your uh, your dry bar special, Nobody's Queen, and we'll get into that a little bit later. But um, for a lot of people, you might be a new comedian to their comedy repertoire. So talk about um, your upbringing and what inspired you to go into comedy. So my family is really boisterous, big personalities, loud, fun people, but none of them had ever done anything in entertainment. So when I wanted to do that, there was that vibe of like, you don't want to do something that makes money. You don't want to do something better. You know, my family just wasn't all about it at first. Like my mom had a very specific plan. My sister's an attorney. She was supposed to be an attorney. My little sister's supposed to be a teacher. And I was supposed to be the one to go into medicine. And I just, I could never see myself doing that. I'm too squeamish, you know? Yeah. Well, and. You're around sick people all the time, so that could be pretty depressing. Oh, my God. Yes, that would be so depressed. I mean, technically, I'm around sick people now, now that I think about it, just like <laughs> mentally, like mentally sick people. At any given time, any green room has at least three people that are clinically depressed. Like, no one's all there, but it's a different type of sick. I'm used to it. So there's that. Um But yeah, so I was like, well, I wanted to, I got in the theater when I was in like high school and junior high and Mm -hmm. my parents were like, pick something practical, actors starve, you know, and little did they know I was still going to find a way, still going to find a way to do something impractical. But uh, so then I decided on journalism. I was like, oh, I could do journalism. I wanted to do Mm -hmm. like serious news anchor journalism. And I went to school, I got my broadcast degree, but I, from there I stumbled into radio and that's when I got to be a co-host in a morning show. And I really realized I just love the sound of people laughing. Like that was my favorite mm-hmm. thing. I would get to the studio at four o'clock in the morning and, Gosh. and then get calls in and people were like, Oh, you guys are so funny. You make my day, you get my day. And it's, that's, what's really important to me is feeling like I just, I guess the timing just changed. I went from being a morning show host and starting someone's day to having people come up to me and saying, I was, I was having the worst day ever. I got the worst news. I got laid off today. Everything was awful. And my friends made me come to the show. And I'm so glad I did. You made my day. And that's that's how I do it. I love it so much. So, um, yeah, radio kind of naturally transitioned into me having to work at smaller stations and do the off-camera stuff and the off-the-radio stuff, which wasn't as much fun. And then I was working part-time at a makeup counter. And one day I was having a really hard day. And one of my friends at the counter was like, even when you're having a mental breakdown, you explain things in a way that is so funny. Have you thought about doing stand-up? And I was like, mm-hmm. really? And I just think sometimes too, I just didn't grow up with that example. I think the style of comedy I do, I wasn't so prevalent in the mid two thousands. So I just don't think I had anybody to look up to. So for my friend to go, no, this could work. This could be very funny. was amazing. So shout out to Cody for that. And I went to my first open mic and then I saw how not great everybody at the open mic was. And I was like, I can do this. So, You know, I kind of feel that way um, when I go to some of these comedy shows, too. You mentioned your sister's a lawyer. I'm, I'm a lawyer. Uh, oh, wow. I've been, yeah, I'm, I've been a real estate lawyer for 20 years. And it's just I just love comedy. And uh, so my influences were you know, in the 80s, the Rodney Dangerfields and John Belushi's. And you get into the 90s and you had um, Chris Farley, Dana Carvey, uh, Eddie Murphy, all those guys. But um, you see some of these comedians and you're like, man, they're not really funny at all. I almost feel like walking up there and say, I got it from here. Thank you. <laughs> well, we want the audience to be respectful of us and understand our process. Yeah, I would never course. do that, of course. I would never <laughs> do that, of course. But um, yeah, you know, there are a lot of comedians out there. You're like, man, they're not really that funny at all. But um, 
the thing is, you got to take the chance to to go up on open mic and give it a shot. Because if you don't, you'll never know. Absolutely. You'll never know. And I think even just one open mic isn't necessarily like, oh, this is I did bad at this. So I'm bad at comedy. Like you have to just keep playing with it. I ain't gonna lie. I was great. I I was one of those people <laughs> who got really lucky straight up. And but also what it was is like for three months, I was quietly with my notebook, like thinking through what I was going to say and do. So my first couple of months of stand up, I was this kind of prodigy. Like every show was great. It was easy to get booked. I wasn't even asking for money. So people were like, yeah, sure. Do 20 yeah. minutes on my show, you know, so uh, it definitely took some moments where I had to like reassess and go, is this the most creative? Is this the most honest way I can say this? And then there are some growing pains. You know, there are mm-hmm. periods where I wasn't getting the biggest laughs, but I was being more honest. And, you know, you figure it out. I don't I hate the expression, find your voice, because I feel like we always say that to people. And what we mean is find a way for people to be able to package you and someone you already sound like. Mm-hmm. But I definitely think I just fine-tuned my voice i think i took out all the things that weren't my voice and then amplified it and turned it louder you know what i mean yeah well i think you know i always hear from the the comedians that the best comedians their their material comes from stuff that they can relate to when they're being themselves yes that's always whether you're a comedian or an actor if you can play yourself then that's your best i agree i totally especially with the comedians i agree with that completely so um, how would you characterize your comedy style and who are some of your inspirations for comedy? I would call myself a, well, I go back and forth between two like traditional styles, observationalism and stream of consciousness. So a lot of it is just observations on the world and then told through my lens and then storytelling tied in between that. And then sometimes I do the type of storytelling that's a stream of consciousness where it feels like I'm just thinking off the top of my head, but I'm not because I've Mm. kind of like predetermined what I'm going to do. And I really enjoy doing a set where everything kind of connects. And the Mm. longer I'm on stage, the better that tends to be. So like, you know, 30 minutes, 45 minutes is my sweet spot. Of course, you know, you have to have a tight five, you have to have the tight 10. So getting Mm. those like punchier jokes off is really important, but I'm definitely a storyteller and I really think my strength is being very relatable. Um, Now, if there are some people who are like, this is just some lady talking about her life and I don't relate. And those people tend to be very young men who don't understand love. And that's fine. I just just don't care. You know what I mean? You're not going to appeal to everyone. If you are so busy, look, if you're trying to dilute yourself to appeal to everyone, you're going to be a weaker version of what you're doing. So I've just been like, I'm going to be mean. And if... If you enjoy comedy that feels like your big sister telling you some hilarious ass stories, then you're going to love me. If you're like, nope, get to the point, say it quickly. I don't like, why are women always talking about relationships and, and babies and da, 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 you know what I mean? If you just like, eh, then don't come. I'm not for you. There's somebody, this festival is going to be amazing. There's going to be somebody for everybody. And mm-hmm. that's the beautiful thing about comedy is I think there's genres. Like I love music. Beyonce is my favorite artist, but I don't go to a Metallica concert with my arms folded like, why aren't they doing crazy in love? Like, I know what yeah. the fuck I showed up for. <laughs> Boy, there'd be some disappointed Metallica fans if that happened. Exactly. So if Metallica tried to appeal to, to Taylor Swift fans, all they would do is alienate the Metallica fans and never get the Taylor Swift fans. I don't know. Something clicked in me the last couple of years. Where I'm like, there is a Jasmine Ellis fan and I'm going to yeah. keep giving them Jasmine Ellis. Well, and to your point, um, that's why I did the comedy festival lineup the way I did, because um, like for I'm going to have four comedians each night and everyone's going to get 30 minutes Mm -hmm. because I wanted to have I felt like 30 minutes. Like when I watched the dry bar special, most of those clips were around 30 minutes. So I'm like, okay, I know everyone can do a really good 30 minute set, but I wanted to have different stories being told the whole night, because if I was doing, um, let's say, just a Jasmine Ellis show, well, that may appeal to a a lot of people, but maybe they want to hear a, a different perspective from like an Eric O'Shea. And maybe some people, the women, for, for example, they may not want to listen to Eric O'Shea for two hours, even though he is super, super funny. They may like the fact I'm hearing a perspective from a woman comedian. So I brought in you and Lace Larrabee. And then I've got Mark Klein who's a little bit older. So everyone's story is a little bit different. 
And And I appreciate that. I really, I looked at the lineup and I was like, this is a really good diverse lineup. I think sometimes even if things are diverse in the sense of like race or age or gender, they can kind of pick comics from like the same region who started Mm -hmm. around the same time. Like, you know, so we all cut, you know what I mean? You can pick a whole lot of John Mulaney-esques, you know, and it's good to see different styles and voices. I really think you did a great job with that. I think this is going to be fantastic. I spent a lot of time on YouTube evaluating comedians. That's awesome. That's so great that you like took the time to do that. That's really great. Yeah. Well, um, and your debut album was actually called Trash Baby, which I listened to, and it was super funny. And Thank you. And it was you. a number one album on YouTube, uh, I, I said YouTube, iTunes a few years ago. Why was Trash Baby such a fun album to make, and why was it such a big success? Thank you. Um, thank you for calling it a big success. I It was very fun to make because I was completely in control. So I worked with Sure Thing Records to help me put it together. I was living in Austin at the time, and I lived in Austin for three years. So we recorded it at Cap City Comedy, which is just huge. There were some other options, but Cap City was the dream because that was the biggest, best stage in Austin at the time. And it is it is a thing now, but they're at a new location. So it's not quite the same. It was that that Cap City stage was amazing. So that was amazing. I set up several dates leading up to it where I was going to do this hour. And it was kind of funny because what put a fire under me is I always want to feel like I'm moving and progressing in every aspect of my life. So I got married in 2019 and I realized I had a lot of material that I wrote from the perspective as being um, unmarried. And, you know, even if this wonderful man of mine leaves me tomorrow, I'll never be single again. I'll be divorced. You know, if he dies, I'll be widowed. Knock on wood, knock on wood, knock on wood. But you know what I mean? It's like, I, this is a chapter of my life that's different. So what am I going to do? Just throw away my single material? No, let's, let's package it. Let's put it out there. So that's what I wanted to do. And I still managed to like write a little bit about him. I think like the joke about him realizing how seasoning works and life, life time is on that one. Mm-hmm. Um, God, that one is, it's also really personal. There's some things I took off of there because I wanted to keep it more lighthearted. It actually like recorded in it like, like an hour and 15. I was just really rolling. I was having a good time and I had to trim it back. So there's some things that are a little bit more in the mental health space that are going to make their way onto my next album that I'm very excited about. Um, we just haven't recorded it yet because I am trying to get all my P's and Q's in a row. And now I'm holding myself to an even higher standard, which is hard because with Trash Baby, I'd never done that before. So I'll, like just doing it was the accomplishment, but now I have to do better and it has to, it has to be number one on all the charts. And it ha- I just, Trash Baby was very fun because I'd never done anything like that before. I didn't have a manager yet. I didn't have an agent yet. I didn't have any agents yet. I wasn't even doing colleges yet. I really, really the point of it was kind of sort of to give myself a credit. I wanted to, so I wanted like Jasmine Ellis, Trash Baby. So there's something behind my name because I had never done anything. And it mm-hmm. was the catalyst to a lot of great things for me. After I sent the raw video file of it to Chuck Johnson at Summit Comedy, he was like, let's work together. Let's get you some colleges. And then I booked NACA after that. Uh, I don't want to talk about, and then I booked my dry bar after that. And, you know, then magically COVID happened right after my first NACA. So I had to rearrange a bunch of my college dates and, you know, things didn't, you know, my, my, my dry bar happens during COVID. So I can't necessarily like tore off of it, but uh, yeah. still some, it, it was, it got things moving for me in a really amazing way. And it was so fun because I was so ready. Like those were six years of jokes that I was like, let's put it out there. So it's crazy to think that it's been four years since it came out, like 2019, just like, I think, I feel like that was just a minute ago and it was not, it was a while ago. So now I'm in like a different place. I've been married for a while. Um, we've made the decision. We don't want kids. So I have some really great material about that. Um, yeah. I'm more comfortable talking about my history with mental health and, you know, I've gotten more things that I'm excited to talk about, but I'm very, very proud of Trash Baby. Like I, there are some, there are quotes from that that I think belong on my headstone and they're mostly all about, all from the joke about female masturbation. I'm proud of that. I think I wrote, I think I wrote the best female masturbation joke ever. I know people hate to hear a woman talk about, but I did it best. All right. Nobody, (laughs) not kidding, but I really am. Listen, if, listen, if you don't mind a raunchy joke, start it squeaky clean with straight A's. That is one of my favorite bits. I really think I gave that everything it needed. I, yeah. I, I'm i very proud of what that was. And it was a perfect picture of who I was four years ago. Well, I thought it was a really good album. And uh, you mentioned Chuck Johnson because he's the agent that I work with to book you. But I found you 
on Drive Bar Comedy, which I discovered that during the pandemic. And then I um, I was on your website and it directed me to him and stuff. But um, he was a really good agent to work with, very responsive and stuff. And I think as a comedian, you got to have an agent who's very responsive because in trying to book the show for different comedians and stuff, I think a lot of agents, they, they think I'm booking a comedy festival and I'm a rookie. And even though I am kind of a rookie for a comedy show, I'm a lawyer. So mm-hmm. it's like when people don't get back to me on things, I'm kind of used to doing stuff where I'm getting responses and closing deals and stuff like that. And I think having a great agent is such an asset for the comedian because if they're not getting back to people, their, their client's not getting booked. Oh, for sure. I mean, I can't recommend Chuck enough. The only It's almost like to the point where I'm like, I mean, I would recommend him, but then he can only manage so many. He can only be an agent for so many of us. So yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to need you to wait. But like he really is because I know so many people who have college agents and the way it works, it's like you would reach out. Let's say you want comedian X to do your college. Mm-hmm. Well, he's got 50 other comics he's looking at. So he'll get mm-hmm. back to you and things just fall through the cracks. And if that if comedian X doesn't book NACA that year, like they're just not chosen, because remember, there's thousands of us applying. Then comedian X doesn't book any schools that year. They just and don't. NACA is the what National Association, Association of, of Campus Campus Activities. Campus Activities. Okay. Yes, and that is a big deal to be a part of that. It is, and I've I've had the pleasure of I only did it one time in person, and then ironically they they canceled the next one, and then the next one after that was viral. So I got into four one year, uh-huh. but it was like February twenty twenty, then then COVID. Then a viral one that nobody really came to. And then another one, I think that was canceled. So it was like really kind of complicated. And then the next year I didn't have anything really new to show. So what I'm excited about, I did apply. I'm, you know, fingers crossed this year. But what I'm saying is a lot of the college agents, they don't, um, they don't do anything to get you work outside of NACA. If you don't book NACA, Uh, then you just don't really do. I mean, they might be trying, but I just don't feel like people try like Chuck tries. I've heard from, I've heard from my peers that they're not, you need someone who's emailing this school like, hey, just want to remind you this is going on. Or do you have a comedian for this yet? And I think I've been very lucky to to work so much. And that's because Chuck puts in the work to help me work because I'm not well, I'm, I'm becoming a name slowly but surely. But in the period, you know, when I had like less than 5000 followers on most social media, it was really a lot of his pushing. And I appreciate him so much. I cannot yeah. talk about how much I appreciate him more. Well, I know when I was in college, um, I was in student government. And we had a division that would bring in campus events and we brought in like Carrot Top. And oh, fun. I, think, I think they had, well, they had Jeff Foxworthy in 94, which that's when I was a junior in high school. And um, they, who else have they had? They had Carrot Top, but they haven't had them in a long time. And so with me doing the event on campus, they're like, wow, we're so glad someone's bringing this back to campus because they just don't really bring them in. Like mm-hmm. that, and so that's why I think it can be really, really well, uh, well attended. And the other thing too, I've had venues around. They're like, "Oh my gosh, this is so great! Do you mind after the show, maybe we can um, book some of your comedians for bigger shows?" And I'm like, "Yeah, you know, if I can do referrals and stuff, because then if if you're just coming and doing like a 30 minute segment for Kentucky Comedy Festival, you're not giving away your whole show where you could go and do some other shows around the area." And that way, it's kind of a taste of, hey, you can see Jasmine Ellison. She was super funny. Well, you can see her you know, six months down the road at this venue or that venue, and it's more work. I think that's so cool. I think that's great that you're like creating that opportunity in that space, and it's awesome. And also, a uh, student, you know, being a student who did that type of stuff, full circle moment for me as well. Uh, when I was in college, I was part of the university programming board, and we would bring mm-hmm. on comedians. And I remember going to NAC as a student and like getting uh-huh. to see the comedians. And who do we see? BJ Novak was one. We couldn't afford him. Um, but we got a uh, Paul Varghese out of Dallas who like became like one of my good friends and mentors later. It was very strange. And, uh, Oh, Roy Wood Jr. Who is oh, from Dr- yeah. And from the daily show. Yeah. Who is, um, his college agent is Chuck, which is small world. And oh, I uh, didn't know he was on the roster for Chuck. He doesn't do as many colleges just because of like where he's at. But like, you right. know, like I, I think he's at this kind of level where like, if like, a Harvard wanted him for homecoming, you know, or something like that. Like it's just different yeah. levels and you get there. But um, I actually ended up opening for him. Um, and that wasn't even through summit comedy. That was just through 
I was in Austin and people knew me in Austin. So I ended mm-hmm. up opening for him. And I was like, I know this, I know you don't like taking selfies that much, but I have to get this picture. So I had to make a collage of me opening for him and put it right next to the collage of me as a student meeting him. Because that was like, I love a full circle moment. It's all about mm-hmm. that for me. I love that. There's another comedian that's on there with him um, on the daily show. Her name's Dulce Sloan. Oh yeah. I love um, Dulce. And I guess she's well, she's friends with Lace Larrabee, and they've opened up this uh, lip gloss thing called was it Glamour Gloss? Giggle Gloss. Giggle, Giggle Gloss. gloss. Yes. Something like that. But she was somebody that I would like to maybe try to get next year, the the year after that, because she is super funny too. And it's kind of like, well, I discovered her because she posted about with Lace Larrabee, or I discovered you know so and so through. It's like the six degrees of Kevin Bacon kind of. Thing. <laughs> that is actually I met. Kira Sedgwick at the Chocolate Sundays in Hollywood one time. Oh, that's his wife. <laughs> yes. And I was like, oh, I'm only one degree away from Kevin Bacon. Like that is <laughs> that is pretty high up there. It was so real quick. This is, has nothing to do with anything. I just got to tell you the story. So I did my audition for Chocolate Sundays, which is like one of the longest running uh, African-American. It's, it's, it is not necessarily an African-American comedy night, but it is one that has always embraced black people. And it's been around for like 30 years. So it's like it's big right so i was doing my first audition for them and this curly hair this very attractive older white woman with curly hair comes up to me and she goes i thought you were so funny and i was like thank you so much and then i was like i know you why do i know you and then we were waiting for our cars and i was like i'm so sorry but you look so familiar have i seen you before and she goes oh i'm kira sedrick and i said oh thank you it was so nice to meet you kira and this woman next to me goes oh that's the closer and I, they're like, I know you from TV. You the closer. And then like people started to just kind of like lightly swarm oh. her. And I was like, I'm so sorry, Miss Sedgwick. I'm so sorry. As like the crowd separated us, as people like started to talk to her. Uh-huh. Like, so You're like pushed aside. All these people coming in. But one degree away, one degree away from Kevin Bacon. That's pretty cool. All right. Like yeah. I had been in L.A. for less than a year and I managed to get one degree away from Kevin Bacon. So not See, that you I remember. Speak. Gosh, I, get, I think that started like in the early 90s and I was in high school and I would always I was like I could almost take any comedian and find some way to get to Kevin Bacon. But the key for that is if I could get a connection to Dan Aykroyd, because I was a big Blues Brother fan with Dan ah. Aykroyd and John Belushi. And Dan Aykroyd has been in so many different movies with so many people. And of course he was in um, with uh, the blues brothers with John Belushi and John Belushi was in animal house with Kevin Bacon because Kevin Bacon's first movie was animal house. So mm-hmm. if you can get that connection to a Dan Aykroyd, who's been in movies with, you know, Bill Murray and Chevy chase and John Candy or um, Kathy Bates is a big one. Who's been in a lot of movies. That's my connection that I would always, always get to, to Kevin Bacon, but I could never do a one. connection. <laughs> You got me beat there. Yeah, one is solid. I'm kind of six is normal, like four to five. If you live in L.A., I think one is exceptional. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you mentioned um, and we've mentioned the drive our comedy special. Nobody's queen. And um, I was looking up before the show. It does have well over a million views. That's exciting. So and you know that does include their Facebook page and other social media. But I really like drive our comedy because for my show, in Western Kentucky, we are part of the Bible Belt, so I have to be careful with comedians. I can't have someone come up and be F this and F that unless, I guess, like if it was Chris Rock, you, you go to a Chris Rock show, you kind of know what you're going to hear as far as language and stuff. But I've got to hear, kind of tone it down a little bit. And so I really like Dry Bar Comedy for that. And your show, Nobody's Queen, was a big hit. Talk about that experience of filming with Dry Bar Comedy. So dry bar is its own thing. It's very interesting there. It's different than any other experience because they have their own standard of clean. When you mm-hmm. sign up to do dry bar, you um, they're very clear with you about what they consider Provo clean because it's filmed in Provo, Utah and uh-huh. Provo, Utah has a majority, um, a majority Mormon audience, which is going to be like oh, a different, okay. even if you grew up, like I grew up in Texas, Bible Belt, still, you know, um, but there is, there's, there's clean and there's Utah clean. So there's like, <laughs> It's it's a it's a little different. Um, so that was different. Um, even the fact that like with it being Mormon, they don't drink, so you can tell a joke about drinking, but like the audience is literally stone sober, sitting there eating M and M's out of their laps. Um, so that's a different vibe. But I flew to Provo. I flew to Salt Lake. Did a show in Salt Lake the night before. Drove into Provo, and the staff and everyone was really nice and accommodating and. 
it was a really great experience. And it was just, I mean, Utah's beautiful and the food's really mm. good. It is wild how Mormon everything is. Like, I know, I guess I just didn't grow up in that culture. Listen, any God that isn't sure about coffee is not the one I'm personally going to serve. I oh, just, they don't drink coffee? Is no. it like they don't drink caffeine? No hot liquids. Like, no hot liquids for, or no, like, it's, you can't drink hot or caffeine. What? Let me look up the exact reason before I say something wrong. Like, why don't Mormons do coffee? Why don't? Yeah, okay. I'm really curious. Um, but uh, that that's a first, when you, when you type in why don't Mormons, um, Mormons can't drink coffee because it's forbidden in the word of wisdom. A dietary law outlined doctrine and covenants. This order was revealed to church by Joseph Smith back in 1833. So it's like coffee, alcohol, tobacco, and drugs. And But what's weird about it is it's like it's hot drinks, coffee and tea, but they drink sodas. So there's like a whole thing yeah. on TikTok called Utah Sodies, and people uh. are obsessed with soda there. But you can't have coffee and like... I just went, I couldn't have a coffee anywhere I went. And I was like, this is torture. But other wow. than that, it well, was we a, good a Mormon church in Western Kentucky. Actually, some of my uh, teachers growing or one of my teachers growing up was Mormon. But um, I don't think we'll have that problem in the audience. <laughs> I think as we'll be as, fine. They'll, they'll be okay with, because uh, Kentucky, of course, is known for bourbon and you know, drinking and all that stuff. But oddly enough, Murray, when I was in college, it was dry. A lot of counties in that area were dry counties. Mm -hmm. uh, but now it's liquor by the drink. So, but back in the day, literally people would go like seven miles across the county line and literally right across the county line, they'd have a liquor store. And that's where people would load up for the fraternity parties and stuff. But oh, in college, yeah. I made a ton of money as a designated driver because I don't drink. And I don't, the reason why I don't drink is I, I just never cared for the taste and stuff. But I had a neighbor in college who drank all the time. And he had the ugliest women come by his room in the morning. And I was like, <laughs> I'm like, I don't want that to happen to me. Oh my goodness. So you were Uber before Uber. Look at you. I was, I was, That's I just didn't drive a stick shift very well, but, <laughs> but, uh, but back to drive bar comedy, you were talking about the experience of filming with him in Utah. I enjoyed it. Um, it was different. Definitely. It's a different audience, but I had a lot of fun with it. Um, <clears throat> for me personally, it happened right after Trash Baby. Like I recorded Trash Baby in August and then September, October, I was recording, um, was it October or November? Like two, three months later, I was recording Trash um I was recording Nobody's Queen. And so that was a little tricky, like deciding what goes on this and what goes on that and like wanting it to be my best, but also my cleanest stuff. Working clean wasn't the problem. It was just deciding what to put there that was like, all right, we got to figure it out. So like timing wise, I do think doing two specials back to back was kind of crazy. And like looking back, I don't think I would do that again. That's the one thing mm -hmm. I would change is I wish I'd had a little bit more time in between them, but you can't control. It. And when an opportunity knocks, you just got to put your shoes on and open the door. Exactly. Yeah. And on your show, the night that you're performing, um, Eric O'Shea has been on Dry Bar Comedy and Mark Klein. Oh, fun. On it. And then, of course, I had to ask him because his, his whole theme is being from Kentucky. So I'm like, I've got to have a Kentucky comedian on the show. And then on the Friday night show, uh, Catherine Blanford is on there. She's from Kentucky. But yes, I didn't realize is. that her mom went to Murray State because I saw her at, um, where was it? It was in West Palm Beach at the Improv. She was performing. So I drove down to to see her. And uh, then she even called on me, though. And I was I was like, man, I didn't really know what to say because I didn't want to be like a heckler or anything and interrupt the show. And she was after, after the show, she's like, yeah, you know, you can you can be more uh, talk back and all that kind of stuff and play on. I was like, well, I just didn't want to mess up the show. <laughs> but, um, but she's very funny. Oh, yeah. A hoot. I've known her for years. She was my roommate at 10,000 Laughs Comedy Festival in Minneapolis. Uh, so that was like, I want to say, God, that was a busy year for me. I want to say that was like right before I did the dry bar. So it was like October of 2019. So it was like. It was Trash Baby, Big Pine Festival, 10,000 Last Festival, um, Dry Bar, NACA, COVID. Mm -hmm. So it was like, 
<laughs> so you do it all was, this marketing and then you, there's a period you can't do any shows. Yes. Yes. And I, I was one of those, I was uh, one of the early adopters of zoom comedy at first. I like, I would say for about a week, I said, y'all are tripping. This is insane. This is stupid. And then I was like, fine, I'll do it. And I got really into it. Like I set up a backdrop. I had a microphone. Like I really got into making my shows at home as much as they could be. But it was interesting because once I got back on the road and like, like once everything was open and stuff, I realized that like I had forgotten how to use the rest of my body. Like I wasn't doing act <laughs> Like I was so used to keeping the comedy in here that yeah. I was like, what am I doing? So that was an adjustment. Um, you know, not learning to like get to it faster. Time moves differently in Zoom, if that makes sense. Yeah. So um you feel like you can't have any pauses or hesitation on Zoom, whereas on stage, like learning to move silence is really smart. So they're just completely different muscles. Right. Like use use your body more and your voice less. It's just it was crazy. I'm well, I'm very grateful it. Zoom is over. <laughs> yeah. Well, the other thing too is, I mean, you're not getting the audience feedback immediately to a joke, so you can't get that vibe from that. And I would think that would be very important for. What most of the good shows did, and this is my favorite, is if we ask people to turn their sound on, but their video off. Because I think what happens is like most people just get really self-conscious. I mean, when you're on a Zoom, I, I don't know about you. I'm watching myself. I'm like, man, mm. my eyebrows are so symmetrical or whatever. I did else. take a shower before all this and cleaned up. So hopefully yeah, I, I put on. A, I didn't know if you're going to do video. I put on a little blush. You know what I mean? Like you just need to. Anyways, we get self-conscious, so we're looking at ourselves and we're not as much in it. So when the camera, when the audience has the cameras off and their sound on, it's so much better. It's a little okay. weird because you're just talking to the void, but I kind of looked at it as just practicing and telling my jokes in the mirror, if you will. And then I would hear these big laughs and these reactions. The only thing is sometimes there's a lag. And so literally people will laugh in the middle of your next setup and uh, that throws you off. Yeah. So that was a little weird. Uh, I'm I'm glad that's over for sure. I'm so happy to be in person. So is your husband Alex a supporting? Um, or is he your sounding board for a lot of your comedy? Is oh, for sure. Feedback. Definitely my sounding board. Um, uh, we've recently kind of started playing with. Um, like, if he'll give me a tag, I'll try it. For the longest time, I'd be like, no. I no, I don't want to take assistance from my my husband, my boyfriend. No, 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 no. My jokes are my jokes. I don't work. I don't work with anybody. I was really, really weird about that. And then I've realized that like it's weird not to have that wonderful resource of this super smart person I live with. So yeah. I like we go back and forth and we kind of play with different things. I mean, it's always it's always my joke. It's always my setup, my punchline. But I definitely take tags from him or like adjust things in different ways. So that's been fun. Yeah. It's great to have comedian, a, Is he a comedian too? He was. My husband, Alex Gaskin, he started stand-up actually right around the same time I did. We didn't know each other. Um, okay. He started in the Denton scene. I started in the Dallas scene, which is uh, just a little bit different, but then we'd run into each other through mutual friends and just really had this slow burn of a friendship that was nice. Like we're just uh -huh. really good friends for almost two years before we started dating, which is really nice. And um He's just great, but he realized he didn't love being on stage that much. Mm -hmm. So he actually now contributes headlines to Click Hole. Uh, you might know them. They're like a, a satirical website, kind of like The Onion. Um, mm -hmm. So he does like satirical headlines. He's my partner on our, my podcast, uh, Television in Black and White. And he um, he has like a newsletter where you can hear him talk about horror movies and television and like He's a, he's, I, I call him a media critic. I think that's what yeah. his job is now. Like media critic along with like the other stuff he does to keep a roof over our heads, but he's great. He's just, he uses, he's definitely more, he was always more of a writer than a performer. And uh -huh. in the beginning I was more of a performer than a writer. Right. And, and so that was kind of great because we would really both push each other, but performing just never made him like, he never loved being on stage as much as I loved being on stage. Well, and if you think about it, I mean, there are a lot of comedians who, uh, they were great writers, but really weren't on stage. You go to Saturday Night Live, you know, a lot of the comedians uh, like John Belushi and uh, Chevy Chase, when they first started, they were writers and Belushi was always on stage. But Chevy Chase, when he was hired for Saturday Night Live, was originally to be a writer. And mm -hmm. then, of course, he ended up on stage. But um, yeah, the writing is so important for comedy, too, because I guess now for uh, the TV show hosts and stuff, they have the writers that write their jokes and everything. So it's a very yeah. important thing. 
there's so many different pieces of it and there's so many ways to be a comedian and stand-up comedy is my specific calling but it's not for everybody it doesn't make someone not a comedian just because they're not a stand-up well so what comedians have been your biggest influence on your stand-up style hmm i love that question it's hard i can definitely tell you who inspires like who i who i enjoy watching Mm -hmm. as far as influencing my style my style is just Jasmine telling a joke. Like, it's just my personality. But I will say, definitely, Mike, who I am just admire a lot. I love Wanda Sykes. Mm-hmm. I think I think Wanda Sykes is the greatest living stand-up. That's my personal opinion. I don't want to fight with y'all. But it's who I love. I think she is so quick and she's so funny. And the way she tells a story, but then also connects it to the issue of the day and then, like, I mean, I'm a Be Me is one of my favorite specials. It came out in, like, 2008. It's, mm-hmm. no, it is my favorite special. It's so funny. I really enjoyed her last most recent one. I just, I think she's just so damn funny. I love what mm-hmm. she does. So, Wanda Sykes is someone who I definitely think is, like, an influence on me. Um, I really enjoyed Amy Schumer's last one a lot. A lot of my people who I, like, love watching aren't necessarily the biggest names, but they're just so great. Mia Jackson is a comic out of Atlanta. So funny, just so good at just these great referential, just quick, quick, quick. Um, I love Leanne Morgan, who is blowing up. Leanne Morgan, yeah. and she is the definition of stream of consciousness. It is this constant. It's all one long story that all connects. And I love that she does that. And it's her voice and her style. So I really enjoy her. So those are definitely some of my favorites. Yeah, we were trying to get Leanne for for this special, but. Uh... They said, well, she's already booked on a tour and she's not available. And I'm like, well, I have a budget. And they're like, well, sorry. But, she's um, a busy woman. And I, 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 I love her so much. I'm so happy for everything she's got going on. Yeah, no, she's doing very, very well right now and very funny. And I think, too, a comment that you mentioned earlier, her style is kind of like what you were saying you like for your style to be is you're you tell stuff that people can relate to. And when people can relate to that and they're like, oh, I can see that or I've seen that, then that's funny. If they can't relate to your story, then they're not going to be as invested in the performance. Yes, I, I think that's really important. And that's um, but the thing is, is the more specific you get, if you can quickly get specific, people will relate. Sometimes they just don't know they understand yet. You know, like when I when I talk about how I grew up somewhere where there was so much pressure to get paired off and get married the second you blink, uh, that's not relatable in L.A., Everybody yeah. is 36 and like maybe thinking about settling down. They are literally emotionally avoided people. But when I paint that picture, you can think of your cousin or your um, your friend or your parents who did feel that pressure. Like it's right. all about just painting the picture with a lot of details very quickly. See, and you mentioned that um, when I grew up in Western Kentucky, it was very much. I mean, a lot of my high school classmates and friends either got married after high school or after college or within like a couple of years, but by 25, most people were pretty ma- were already married. See, I finished law school, went to Miami and got my master's in real estate law. And so I was a lawyer down there, but Miami was completely different oh, yeah. where people would be, you had a lot more working professionals and stuff, but it was not uncommon for people to be in their late thirties, forties, like me, never married because they were committed to their work or whatever. But I mean, I know people that are in their 50s in Miami and never married and stuff. Mm-hmm. And so it's just a completely different demographic from the small town. kind of thing. Exactly. And so it's been interesting, like go like being based in L.A., touring lots of little little places. I'm doing two different shows almost like mm-hmm. because you're explaining two different parts of life. But I I love people who can definitely stay true to their voice and just illuminate it for different audiences. I love that. So you mentioned uh, like Leanne Morgan, Mia Jackson, and Wanda Sykes as some of your favorite comedians. Uh, who are some of your other funny comedians or your funniest comedians out there? Hmm. Like who I think are the funniest? Or uh, let me rephrase that. Your favorite. My favorite. Um... Or even some up and comers maybe that people may not know about. Because like you mentioned Mia Jackson. I think I've heard of her, but I wrote her down because I'm going to check her out. You should. She's uh, from Atlanta. Super funny. I think she lives in New York right now. She kind of goes back and forth. Super funny. Akeem Woods, I adore. Uh, Not a big name yet, but on his way. Very, very funny. Um, He's a comic based in New York, originally from Florida, and just very quippy. He's a regular at the the cellar. Oh, I can't. 
talk about comedians that I admire without bringing up Jenny Zagrino. That is, that is oh, someone I've heard of her. I love Jenny so much. She's actually one of my best friends. And, um, I would say somewhat of an influence on me in some ways, as far as like getting comfortable talking about, uh, body neutrality and just like the honesty. She's just, she's great. I really enjoy her. Um, I don't want to just like just name my friends. I feel like I should. Oh, Miss Pat. Miss Pat is someone yeah. who I don't know personally. I think her style is so different than mine. It is it is much more raw in your face, you know, but that's she also had a much harder life than I did growing up. And you know what I mean? Like, I'm sure she's I don't I don't. it's like there's some people where I'm like, I don't even know if we would get along. But I like I respect what she, I respect you. Like, I, 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 I respect what you do. And I really appreciate it. And it makes me laugh. And that's awesome. You know, I don't I like- listen to her before. She's pretty funny. And she kind of tells it like it is, which I think is pretty funny. Absolutely. It's definitely it's her style for sure. I feel like she'd be like, if this girl don't stop talking about her clinical depression, you know what I mean? Like, I just don't necessarily think, <laughs> you know what I mean? There is like there's very much that like that Gen X kind of attitude of like, um, my parents left me on the side of the road. Nobody cares that your Wellbutrin wasn't filled this one. Whereas like I a lot of what I do is very millennial problems, but they're valid. OK, it is it's yeah. valid. Um, some, you know, so I enjoy, I enjoy, I enjoy Miss Pat a lot. I like, I thought it was supposed to be great. I, Michelle Buteau just delivers everything in this great way that is just, you just, I just love it. I love it so much. I, that is someone I've been compared to, which kind of annoys me in the sense of like, we're, I just want people to be able to have their identity. Like, yes, we're both black women who are curvy and are married to white men. But that's mm. not like, that's not everything that defines us. But I love Michelle Buteau's personality a lot. Um, there's a, just, there's a, I love comedy as a whole. And I can always find the humor and don't tell comedy, which is what I just did recently, is such a great way. That's like, that's what helped Catherine blow up. It is such a great way to find like the next big voice in comedy. And there's so many good ones on there. You know, like Ralph Barbosa, who came out of, um, out of Dallas, super, super mm. funny. Oh my God. So many great people came out of Dallas. I don't get enough appreciation. I, like I said, Paul Varghese, super funny. Um, Linda Stogner, Linda Stogner. She really helped me like learn the value of working clean. She ran a comedy club in Dallas called backdoor comic comedy. Ironically, the cleanest room in town was called backdoor comedy. And Mm -hmm. it was a space where like you couldn't even say the B word, but it was really important. Like having that once a week, to use that muscle and be like, okay, this joke is funny. Now try it without cussing at all. Yeah. Now try it without any references to sex. It now here's the thing. I think a dirty joke can be really powerful and there's a time and a place for it. But mm-hmm. because I'm able to have both of those tools, that's why I can make a living. I think yeah. it's really important. I mean, some people do great at just being raunchy all the time, but um there's an audience and there's definitely there's so much opportunity if you can learn to work clean as well. And I feel like a lot of my peers who are like under 50 and not white men are doing themselves a disservice, by not learning to work the clean rooms because mm-hmm. so many of the, of the people who are making money at the clean are older white men who are straight. And yeah. that's not the only people who can tell a joke without an F bomb in it, you know, like get out there and make like build your career off of having that extra tool. I feel like, I don't know. It's a missed opportunity. I see it as. I agree with you a hundred percent on that because I will tell you, um, I've tried to be um, diverse in the acts that I'm, I'm having here from a story perspective, but it was a real struggle for me to find some of the black male comedians who would be clean. And mm-hmm. I'm like, I, I can't have someone come in and F bomb this and F bomb that. So um, that's something I'm really trying to focus on for the next show, but you're right. Um, if there were more of those guys that could focus and be clean, it would help somebody like me in my show. But then there's a different audience for that too. And that's, and I will like to point in that direction. Dry bar is so great for that. Um, there's several on dry bar. Oh my gosh. Names, the names I'm like seeing their faces. There's one who looks like a teddy bear and there's one who wears a bow tie. (laughs) I think I know who you're talking about. Let me find that guy because, um, it's something drew. His, his name's Drew and he's out of Atlanta and he was on dry bar comedy. And uh, I can't remember his name. Let me find it here. But he oh. was super funny and I have him on my list for next year. And there's another guy named Mike Whitfield. Yes. Mike Whitfield. On- very funny. Um, 
Jason Russell, I really enjoyed. Oh, Dwayne Perkins. Very, very oh, also Caleb Elliott. I adore yes. Caleb Elliott. Caleb yes. Elliott did his dry bar the same day as me. So we have the same little purple backdrop. And I like Caleb is only like five years younger than me. And he will casually call me his auntie. And I'm like, pull it back. Pull it back. I am not that that is, but other than that, he's never said anything foul. Like Caleb Elliott is so funny and so smart and uh, a Southern boy. He's, I think he's from Raleigh. I think, yeah. I think he's, I think I've he's from Raleigh. Because Super I went to go funny. see him um, when John Crist performed in Tampa. I drove over to Tampa because I'm like two hours from Tampa. Mm-hmm. And um, it was, he opened with uh, Derek Stroop and then John Crist. And so I was trying to get John and John had a schedule conflict, but I'm able to get Derek Stroop. So Derek Stroop's going to be on that Saturday show that I oh, added, nice. along with um, Henry Cho. Uh, who's um, a Korean comedian from Knoxville, who has a Southern accent, but he's a Hall of Famer in the um, the Grand Ole Opry. And Caleb Elliott was very funny as well. So I had him on the list. Too. Drew Thomas is that comedian I'm trying, I was remembering. He is uh, on Dry Bar Comedy. And um, his, but he, he was super funny too. So I've been trying to make a conscious effort to find clean comedians. Uh, there's another guy, Kevin... Uh, what was his name? Because um, Bozeman, Bozeman, yeah. I originally had him uh, when I was going to do it in September, and then I had to push this back to October, so he had a schedule conflict. But I'd like to bring him back. I thought he was pretty funny. There definitely is like there's they're there. I do think though the internet kind of rewards some of the like. Um, Mike Goodwin was the one I was thinking of. I met him at Zany's Nashville. Super funny too. So just putting that out there, like there are yeah. those voices too. I just think the internet kind of rewards raunchier sometimes, so it can be yeah. a little hard to find. But it's good to have that mixture of like, of I I just don't think I don't think blue comedy is bad. It's just not for everyone. Yeah. And I don't think clean comedy, like, I think sometimes people who don't like clean comedy think that it's going to be like filtered or uptight. And it's just like, if it's natural and it's to your voice and you're still saying what you want to say, it can be great. Yeah. Some, some people don't even realize how clean their bits could be because they cuss. I call it, um, I call it punctuational cussing. Right. Like people who say like the F word instead of, um, and I'm just like, <laughs> that wasn't part of the point. It wasn't part of the plot. It didn't really drive the bit. Just take it out. And they don't even realize they cuss that much. I find that like, you know what I mean? If you just don't grow up around, like if you don't have a a job where you interact with kids, you don't really think about it. Um, So I'm just like, just if you just remove that from your vocabulary naturally, save it. And then it even has more power and impact. Because if you do have a joke that needs a curse word or needs a bodily function and you save it <laughs> and, and you save it, you know what I mean? Like, li- listen, if a cake was all icing, would it be a good cake? No. OK, like you need mm-hmm. the icing on the cake. You need it in sparing. So I'm just saying. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not worried about it with this show because, I mean, we've got comedians who are experienced enough that they have performed a lot and can read the room. And, you yeah. know, I kind of. um my profession is a lawyer and, you know, sometimes you'll get people like they kind of tell me how to be the lawyer. And I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm the lawyer. I kind of know what to do. It's kind of like if I'm going to the comedian or whatever, I'm not going to tell the comedian what to do because they're the, they're the professional. They kind of know. Yeah. You know, and everything. I let them be them. I just have a few parameters. But I think um, you did a great job choosing great comics and it's going to be an awesome show. Well, I tell you what, I've had a bunch of comedians reach out to me about being a part of the show. And they're like, oh, can you add more people? And I felt like if I go beyond five, four comedians, that's just too much. Um, and I want to keep the show around two hours and I want to give the comedians their time. But um, I've almost got the show for next year booked. But I'm glad for these recommendations because I'm going to check them out. Awesome. I hope you do. I think you're going to be really happy. Also, but while I'm on the subject of just like um, black male comedians that I think are amazing, definitely had to mention Leclerc Andre. Um, he also recorded his dry bar when I did, and he's yes. just been a great comic to work with. So super funny guy out of New York now. Leclerc I think you'll Andre? Enjoy- yes, Leclerc Andre. Okay. So. I wrote that down. Yeah. All right. Well, I appreciate that. So let's transition back to um, one of the topics we've talked a little bit about is your husband. And um, you have a very funny bit where you talk about being married to a white guy who wears a lot of cargo shorts. And I thought that was super funny. 
because in Western Kentucky, guys wear a lot of cargo shorts. I don't wear them because I don't think it would look good on me, but there are a lot of guys that do. So talk about the, uh, you have a checklist to help women who are dating or married (laughs) to a white guy and about cargo shorts. Talk about that and what advice you could give to women to help their guys deal with this problem. So in the joke, what I say is there's no what to expect when you're expecting to marry a white guy, uh, which is a play on the what to expect when you're expecting um, book that pregnant women are given because there was no like there was no book explaining like what I was going to expect as far as like the differences in our life. Um, And it's kind of funny because I um when I post the jokes, like teasing at him, like people like them and then people like kind of have their pushback to it. As far as the cargo shorts thing go, I stand my ground. I don't I care. Agree. And I Gen agree. and here's the thing though, you wouldn't believe it. Gen Z has made cargos cool. They've got them like the long, the cargo pants with like yeah. different colors and like neon green and stuff. They've made it, I don't care. There's no reason to have pockets on the outside of your clothing. If you are not literally creating food and shelter that day, you don't need cargo packets. I'm sorry. (laughs) You're not Kim Possible. You're not swinging from building to building. This is not, listen, you are not a spy. Why do you have this many pockets? I hate it. It's unacceptable. If you you need that many pockets, you need a purse, damn it. I'm not. I'm not. I won't allow it. I'm standing my, I like to stand my ground on really silly issues and being anti-cargo shorts will be one that you can mark me down as. <laughs> yeah, because some people, they wear the long ones. They're even like way past the knees and they're just full of a bunch of stuff there. And I was like, I could see like the cargo pants, like if you're on a fishing trip or a hiking trip or a hunting trip or stuff like that. But when people are wearing them out to like d- dinner with their wife or girlfriend, I don't know. I, I just don't think I could do that. That is one thing that is a Southern hell is the way most Southern men dress and the way most Southern women dress are so wildly different. Everywhere you go in the South, you will see a couple that looks like they're going to two very different events. And it's just, (laughs) I hate to see that. So I have, I think I've done a great job of reforming my Texan man. I think at any moment we look like we are going to the same place. And that's very important. I I mean, it's also kind of funny. He's been trained. It's very important. It's very important. He's helped me in a lot of ways. I think I have definitely improved his fashion game a lot. I really do. Well, if he's a, a very knowledgeable married man, he knows it's just easier to say yes. Yes. Right? It's always easier to say yes. Always. Yes. So um, why are you excited to be a part of the Kentucky Comedy Festival, the inaugural comedy festival and the inaugural night? Uh, I'm really excited. It is such an honor to be on the inaugural Kentucky Comedy Festival in the first night. It's always exciting to perform for people who are not, um, what's the word? Not jaded on comedy. I appreciate, yeah. uh, I, I love I love being in the coast. I love LA. I love when I'm in New York, but there's comedy every minute and every street. And it's really nice to bring something that's not always necessarily in the city. So I'm right. excited to be coming to Murray, Kentucky and be bringing you something that you don't always get a chance to see. I've never been to Murray, Kentucky. I've been to Lexington, but not Murray. And mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to just like bring joy and entertaining. Every crowd is special but it's really special to be a part of a festival happening for the first time. So Mm -hmm. as this continues to be a big success, I will be really nice to look back and go, I was on the first one. So that's great. Exactly. Yep. And the first (laughs) show is the, it sets the vibe for the whole, whole festival. Well, it's an honor and I appreciate you trusting me. Mm -hmm. So uh, I know you got a lot of projects um, in the works right now and some upcoming shows. So talk about some of the projects and shows that you'd like your, uh, the audience to, to hear about, by the way, I forgot to mention, you can follow Jasmine on her website at jasmineellescomedy.com and her Instagram is at jasmineellescomedy. And you're now over 30,000 followers, I saw. I, I am. I think I'm at like 30.2, which is cute. I'm excited yeah. about that. I'm doing like a weekly series of really funny um, sketches with my friend Amber Wallen. Super funny. Got to look her up. She's great. So we've been shooting these great sketches. They're kind of called like Breaking Bread is the unofficial name for them because it's just two friends going to lunch and then the scenarios that can pop up. So we've been doing those for a while. Um, I'm also, of course, my podcast so look out for my podcast, Television in Black and White, coming in August. It is an exploration mm-hmm. of our country's fascination with race, religion, sex, and culture through the lens of sitcoms. So it's mm-hmm. me and my husband who grew up, a, we, we grew up a little differently. We're talking about like, oh, what did you learn on Frasier? And what did I learn on Martin? And where's the, what's oh. the middle ground on the two of those? So it's okay. a really interesting discussion about, you know, 
pre-Obama, the way television was divided as a, and the way that we, our nation was divided as a culture. And mm. we talk about it through the lens of what TV taught us. And that's been really entertaining to work with. We're recording at Spotify studios and the sound is just chef's kiss. Amazing. So look out in August for episodes of television in black and white. You can find us on Spotify or everywhere you listen to radio. And then Wednesdays at 5 p.m. I have an AMP show. AMP is a new app. It is put on by Amazon. You've got to download it. It's free AMP, A-M-P, just like it sounds. And what it is, it's a live call-in show with music. So I do a show called Rhythm and Bay, where I have funny people tell me the five songs that belong on the playlist of their life. So we talk about the songs, why they're important, the stories associated with them, whether it's an embarrassing first moment or like a first kiss, something crazy like that. And then we listen to the song and talk about it. So it's it's a it's a show for music and comedy lovers to come together. Rhythm and Bay used to be a traditional podcast. You can find episodes mm-hmm. of that on Spotify and everywhere podcasts are found. And uh, look out for my next album, too. So keep looking out for Jasmine Ellis. You can find me on all things at Jasmine Ellis Comedy. That's right. All right. Well, I'm, I wrote all that stuff down. I've got to check all that, all that stuff out and be prepared. Well, Jasmine, I've really enjoyed you being a guest on the show. And we have a tradition on the show where we have the living the dream lightning round questions to see if you, Jasmine Ellis, are living the dream. Okay. And this is kind of like you've seen Family Feud, I guess, where they have the, the fast money and they ask you the questions and you got to answer them real quick. That's kind of the theme for the living the dream lightning. So okay. you ready to roll? I'm right. ready. First question. What's your favorite Eddie Murphy movie? Uh, uh, Dream Girls. Really? Wow. That's that's interesting because that's that's more of a serious movie rather than a comedy movie. I know. It's be, remember, I love I love Eddie Murphy, but I love Beyonce. So yeah. that was, <laughs> I'm so, that's just it's my favorite. It's the answer. I'm sticking with it. If I was going to pick a comedy, I guess I go with Boomerang. Because it's a romantic comedy. Well, Halle Berry was in that, too. So there you go. You know, you mentioned Beyonce, though. And when she was in um, the Austin Powers movie with Mike Myers, and she played Foxy Cleopatra. And And she was a whole lot of woman. Yes. Yes. She was fantastic (laughs) in that movie. I mean, fantastic with her lines and everything. And it was the throwback to the 1970s star Pam Greer. But Beyonce was hilarious in that movie. I know. I haven't watched it in so long. I need to revisit it. Yeah. No, she's fantastic. All right. Next question. Um, favorite Chris Farley movie? Ooh, um, 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 Tommy Boy. All right. Good answer. It's mine, too. Well, next question. Then I already know the answer to this. Favorite band? Metallica. <laughs> okay. If I have to say a band, like a band that plays instruments, like a band, then well, I'm going to go with but, but, Fleetwood Mac. answer well, before you answer that, though, I'm asking favorite band in this question, favorite musical artist in the okay. next question. So that way I was thinking band, you say Fleetwood Mac, whereas favorite musical artist, if you're a Beyonce fan, she could be the answer to the next question or a Madonna or whoever. It's because they're okay. not really a band. I, I, I've really in my my old age gotten very into Fleetwood Mac. I enjoy it quite a bit. And uh-huh. that's going to be my favorite band. And my favorite new band is Fly on a Boss. You need to look them up. They're so great. They're just, um, they have these viral videos of these two girls rapping and just running through the streets of LA and like uh-huh. dodging people. And they're just, oh, they're great. I love Outkast. I, my musical taste are all over the place. I love the chicks. I, I like, I like country. I like rock, not necessarily hard rock. Um, yeah. But uh, and also Destiny's Child, because that's what where we get Beyonce from. So right. ah, I don't know. I'll just say Fleetwood Mac for my answer for right now. OK, now favorite musical artist. You know who it is. You know, it's Beyonce. All right. Texas very own Beyonce. Um, <laughs> you know, you mentioned that your husband was from Denton, Texas growing up. I- I'm a wrestling fan. And I don't know if you guys remember. Uh, there was a family called the Von Erics. Your oh, husband yes. may remember. And they were like a huge, huge deal in the in the 1980s and stuff. But I didn't know if they were still well regard, well known and regarded in in Denton. I'm know, sure. 40 years later, I'm, I'm sure Alex could talk about that at length. He knows yeah. a lot about wrestling. Like I, oh, my yeah. favorite colors are pink and black, and he'll be like, "Oh, you're wearing a." Uh, a a Bret Hart outfit and I get mad. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. no, I'm being sexy. I'm not Bret Hart. <laughs> You'll have to bring Alex along for this, this uh, performance. That way he and I can talk. 
I, he, you would get a kick out of him. He lo- he knows his wrestling. He loves wrestling. He's he's very not as much on the new stuff, but like classic wrestling. He's very well versed. He loves Japanese wrestling. Like, uh, you yeah. know, what? he's gotten me a little into it because I really like Sasha Banks. So, um, and who's yeah, the one she's with the in ponytail? Japan now. She got hurt, but yeah, who's the one with the ponytail that I like? She be whipping it. Uh, Bianca Belair. Yes. Oh my gosh. When they were when it was Bianca versus Sasha, I watched that. So yeah. I'm, I'm rooting for the girls. Always. Well, I have to tell them uh, on my podcast, I've had a bunch of uh, wrestling specials. We've had uh, some old time wrestlers come on. We do a lot of interesting shows. So there's a lot of content on there. If he has some spare time. I'm very grateful because there was a period in his life where he was like, I just got to get a hobby. So he was either going to like take a guitar, do wrestling or do comedy. I'm very grateful that he chose comedy. So he found me because I don't think yeah. I would have found him in the wrestling. World. You wouldn't have found him in the wrestling match. No, I wouldn't have. Okay, so um, you mentioned, you know, my next question was going to be your favorite up-and-coming comedians that our audience should be checking out. But you mentioned a lot of them. I just kind of want to go back on some. You mentioned Mia Jackson out of Atlanta, which I need to look her up because I know I've heard of her. Mm -hmm. Woods, um, Genius Agrino. I actually, um, I I looked at some of her material because Chuck Johnson represents her too. And I was considering her for this show, but then I thought that her material might be too similar to what you do and Lace Larrabee. So I wanted to have a different story, but maybe oh, I'm no. wrong. Oh but, no, don't uh, tell her that. <laughs> I don't want to cost her a job. Um, no, no, but, no. But I, I was looking for her for next year because I, like I told you, I've already been looking at, uh, at people for next year. And I thought she was very, very funny. She'll be a hoot. You'll absolutely love her, but I can see what you mean about the similarities with our material, which is like, it's so funny. Cause I met her seven years ago in Dallas. Um, one of my good friends introduced us and I started opening for her on the road. So there is a lot of similarities to her. Um, I don't want to say that she's my influence, maybe a little bit, maybe a little bit in an influence in the, in the things that we do. Cause we're just, you know, both Joe, both chubby girls with anxiety, you know, I'm so glad we yeah. found each other. I love her so much. Um, as far as like other people, you should look up Rye Irwin, love him. Rye Irwin. Rye Irwin. He is a super funny man who is, um, he's from Utah and then moved to North Carolina. Now he's in New York doing the thing. Very funny, great hustler. Just really enjoy everything they do. Um, Austin, I met so many funny people. I mean, um, Avery Moore. There's a comedian in Texas um, named Cowboy Bill. His name's William Lee Martin. I've seen a lot of him on social media. He's been pretty funny. Yeah, I'm not familiar with cowboy. He Bill, but a, has a big cowboy hat, big thick mustache, and he, um, gosh, I think he's got like six hundred and seventy thousand followers on Instagram on social media. Wow! Facebook, but then on Instagram, I think he's like at fifty, but he's super funny, and I know he would do well in my area. But um, he's one that I've definitely liked. I, I mentioned Mike. Gosh, I, lo- I lost Mike's name from um, America's Got Talent. He was on there with Lace Larrabee, Mike, uh, Mike Whitfield, Mike Whitfield. Oh yeah. Mike Whitfield's super funny. I did, um, I did our OFTV things with him and he's super funny. Great energy. Like fantastic. Yeah. Carmen Morales is also super funny. She was on that with me. Carmen Morales is a great one to look up. So yeah, I got a homework for this weekend. I'm supposed to be on on summer break from my MBA. See, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm a lawyer, but I'm doing my MBA, kind of like Rodney Dangerfield going back to school in the 80s. Oh, um, wow. But uh, then I'm doing this comedy festival, and I'll be doing it while I'm taking a marketing class. I'm like, well, this kind of is a marketing class doing the mm-hmm. festival. You're learning a lot, I'm sure. Like, this is so much to do all at once, but good for you, man. And yeah. you take your time because you got a lot of homework to do, but I think you're going to really enjoy the comics you find. Well, that leads me to my next question. Then where do you want to be in your career five years from now? Maybe five Texas. Years, <laughs> five years from now, I want to be the star of a hit sitcom on television. Mm. I want to have sold out stadium tours. I want to be in the running to host the number one late night show in America. Is oh, that wow. is that a, a a big old pipe dream? Absolutely. But why why would you dream of shooting at the YMCA when you could be in the NBA? Like I, you yeah. know what I mean? Like I'm gonna yeah. dream big. And then if I land middle, at least I'm closer. So that's, that is the dream. That is what I would want to see for myself. I'm, I'm putting those things in motion. I'm acting, I'm auditioning. 
I do think I have that talent and that skill set, and all I need is the right thing to come on in the right time. So I think mm. five years from now, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be on my way to being a household name. So basically, you're you're saying that if I bring you back to the Kentucky Comedy Festival five years from now, your rate's gonna be substantially more. Absolutely, the price. <laughs> <laughs> yesterday's price is not today's price. <laughs> well, I'm a. Uh... Very honored to have you as a guest on the show. I really enjoyed uh, spending some time with you, learning about you and your career. And I'm very excited to have you as part of the Kentucky Comedy Festival. So thank you very much for taking out uh, some time from your Saturday to interview with me. Awesome. Thank you so much. So just wrapping up here, we're with Jasmine Ellis, who is one of the top up and coming comedians. And well, not really up and coming. She's established um, <laughs> comedians. But um, she is on a high trajectory, and you definitely need to get your tickets to see her perform at the Kentucky Comedy Festival on October 19th at Rather Hall at Murray State. She'll be performing that night with Eric O'Shea, Leis Larrabee, and Mark Klein. You can buy tickets to the Kentucky Comedy Festival at KentuckyComedyFestival.com. And you can follow Jasmine and her career online on Instagram at, at Jasmine Ellis Comedy, and her website is also Jasmine Ellis Comedy. So once again, thank you, Jasmine, for coming on the show. I really appreciate it and look forward to meeting you in person on October the 19th. Thanks for listening to this episode. Find us online at benandrodney.com and follow us on Instagram at benwilsonmiami.com.